If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. Today with me is influencer marketing consultant, Gordon Glenister, and we're going to be discussing a strategic approach to influencer marketing. It's a topic that I'm really excited about. I was just saying to Gordon, this episode could go on for hours. We've only got about 40 or 50 minutes together, but I'm sure it's a topic I'm plenty curious about and Gordon has plenty of experience in as well. So before we get into the episode, Gordon, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? Well, thank you, Scott. Yes, so um, I am a, a consultant, a speaker on influencer marketing strategy and recent author. So I had my book, Influencer Marketing Strategy, published just in uh, March this year. It took me forever <laughs> to write, <laughs> uh, particularly in lockdown, but uh, it, was a, it was a fantastic experience to, to go through. Um, I'm also the founder of the Branded Content Marketing Association Influence Division. And uh, previous to that, I was the Director General of the British Promotional Merchandise Association for 11 years. So I've sort of been around the, the promotional market and, and sort of influencer space for, for some time. But uh, we've seen such a meteoric rise in the industry. It's been uh, phenomenal. I just felt there was, there was a need to have some form of representative body uh, that looks after both influencers and uh, the influencer marketing agency, which is which is huge. Um, so, um, yeah, that's a little bit about uh, me, uh, and uh, looking forward to talking more with you. Mm. And you mentioned your book there, and it's worth our listeners knowing that a lot of the questions that I'll ask today and a lot of the topics that we'll cover are orientated around things that I've read in your book, and I was curious about from reading your book. Um, and actually, you just touched on one aspect there, which is regulation within the influencer marketing uh, realm or field. So is that something as we're talking today that still doesn't exist? There's no formal regulations for influencer marketing? Well, uh, there isn't an industry standard per se. Mm. I think it still had this sort of reputation of the the Wild West. And uh, although, you know, there have been, I mean, the the, the Branded Content Marketing Association recently published a set of uh, guidelines which you can actually download for free on the website um but uh, that's only because what we want to try and do education still remains the biggest challenge 
the industry has had. Um, I mean, it's now expected to be around a $15 billion industry from what was only $1.6 billion in 2016. So it, it has grown rapidly. A lot of entrepreneurs as well. We've seen a lot of influencers, particularly women, actually, uh, grow in the sector massively in all sorts of different genres. But uh, the advertising standards authority that have promoted the hashtag ad and other you know, disclosures have been very keen to make sure that people, you know, when they're working with um, brands, do use the proper disclosures. But um, as I said recently at a conference, you know, these things are only as good as the enforcement behind them. So I think we're going to see some more more tougher, uh, re- you know, not necessarily regulations, but more enforcement because it's important that uh, consumers are totally aware of, you know, when they're, when they're seeing some influencer content that it is, you know, the influence had some form of um, – payment for it and there's no problem with that i mean i'm a great fan of, of, of content creators being rewarded properly for their for what they've produced and of course the audience that they've created but um you know there are still a number of people that are not disclosing that and we obviously want to make sure that that happens that, that you know these the, the right disclosures are out there hmm. and this ties in nicely with it's i think very early on in your book and you you're framing the topic of influencer marketing and discussing how influencer marketing has been around in varying forms for hundreds of years now. Mm. And I think there's a reference in there that talks about Coca-Cola leveraging the influence of Santa Claus, which will really help. I think our listeners understand that it has been there. It has existed. It's just a different thing now, or it's executed in a different way, maybe. But I was thinking, you know, with your experience, and you just talked then about a key maybe shift or change in influencer marketing. Are there any fundamental shifts or changes in influencer marketing that you see in the industry right now in comparison to, say, 100 years ago? You know, when you consider word of mouth marketing has been around for for many years, we we Mm. trust the opinions now of others more than we do traditional advertising. and. you know, who can remember? I mean, not just Marlboro Man was another example. Mm-hmm. Um, even the the milk tray advert man. Do you remember? Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so we've we've seen these 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 very you know, visible images of people um, um, that we've bought into brands because of it. I think the big shift that we've seen is this keyword authenticity, particularly amongst younger people, Gen Zs and Millennials. You know, they, they trust their influencer friends, their YouTubers, because of the way in which they communicate their story, their content in such a natural, authentic way um, that makes them, you know, want to work with them, makes them want to see more of their content. Um, and the average influencer, social media influencer, can you believe is just 28 with something like 70 to 80% of that being female as well. <laughs> um, which which amazes me really, uh, and I, I have I have people of sort of closer to my age being a bit dismissive of social media and saying it's all of a fad. Well, it certainly isn't, you know. And if you're not, if you don't really have a social media presence now, I mean, my my youngest son will will say to me, who who loves some of these big YouTubers. Um, the first thing he'll do is not look at the TV to find out about something. He'll go straight to YouTube. 
Mm. <laughs> uh, and this is, I think this is what's the, 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 one of the big changes that, that is shifting um, is now, you know, social media and influencer marketing is not just a nice to have. It's now an essential part of a marketing strategy, I think. Mm. And as you're talking that through, I'm thinking, so I referenced Santa Claus, you referenced the milk tray man and the Marlboro man. And, and then you were talking about the influencers of today. And the biggest change that I'm thinking about as you're talking that through is those are fictional characters. And so do you think there's anything to people seeking influence from, I guess, more relatable figures these days, less fictional mm. characters? And like maybe with the mindset of, oh, they're just like me. And so that's why it's more impactful or influential. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also if you're following a, a YouTuber, so let's just say a beauty uh, YouTuber uh, or, or Instagrammer, you will see that their, their feed is all about that particular niche. Um, so, you know, if, if you want beauty tips, you're going to go and follow a beauty tip uh, influencer because of it is totally relatable. Um, in fact, the more niche you can make the content, the more relevant to a specific audience um, because largely it's not a lot more competitive now. There's a lot more influential people that are out there and indeed consumers. I mean, look at TikTok, for example. I mean, we've got, you know, one of the biggest downloadable apps. How many what we call regular folk that have suddenly become viral stars? Um, I don't know if you remember the lady from the parish council, for example, um, mm -hmm. Weaver. Was it Jennifer Weaver or something? Uh, Jackie, Jackie Weaver. Weaver. That's yeah. right. Please don't, please don't mistake her name. We'll have a petition up in a day or two, I'm sure, <laughs> never to release this episode. <laughs> but but uh, do you know what I'm saying is is that yeah, now absolutely. anybody can become a, an influencer as long as they are passionate, authentic, relevant. But also, I use these ingredients. You've got to entertain, you've got to educate, or you've got to inspire because, you know, just general broadcast content it's a bit of a so what now um, and the way the, um, the algorithms work is they're only going to push out as, as most of your listeners will know to a very small percentage of your content uh, to your audience rather so you know if that isn't bang on of interest then you know it's it's not going to work and that's why sometimes when people look at their linkedin and say, oh when you've got four views or when you've got you know it's not really working well i say to people well have a look at what you're saying you know it's it's a bit of a so what post isn't it <laughs> um mm. and i think that's why i've been really really impressed particularly with some of these uh, younger folk and how they've really they really understand their inf their audience they really really do they know the numbers as well mm. um, they know how to create content at the right time um, they'll look at the views they'll look at the comments they'll keep changing it so that it it, it works um, and that's what brands love you know some of these um, influencers as well are multi-talented you know, they, they, they've come up with, they've almost become, they are digital natives, of course. So it's not yeah. just you're buying somebody or you're, you're creating a brand collaboration with somebody that has got um, a, a number of followers. But, um, you know, they, they're often great photographers, videographers, location scouts. You know, they're great bloggers, website designers. Um, you know, you think about perhaps a television ad that you might be having now and, and all of the costs and people are related to that well one influencer can often create 
uh, a great brand collaboration by you know with having all of those skills in one person and that's what fascinates me i have to say <laughs> Yeah. And taking it back to my original question, actually, you've just talked through so many aspects of influencer marketing, which are fundamentally different there. So I was thinking as you were talking through that, not only is it like a peer to peer influence that's different, and maybe there's like that fictional character aspect that's changed a little bit, but it's also just the richness and depth and frequency of influence. So again, thinking back 60, 70 years ago, Maybe you would have had the ad campaign, magazine ads, newspaper ads, and possibly the odd TV ad, and that would feature, again, Marlborough Man or um, mm. Santa Claus or whoever. But as you've just said, these days, it's the they're kind of walking media studios, a lot of influencers who are yeah multi-talented or multi-disciplined. Santa Claus wasn't his his own walking production studio. No, you know, it's more superficial in nature. But yeah. there's, there's something more authentic and less superficial about the influencer marketing of today, I feel. Yeah. And and just to add to that, Scott, I think what I've also uh, noticed as well is that brands are now realizing that it's not just about uh, allowing the influencers to create their own content. They are wanting to use their content in other forms of media. So I was on Mm. the uh, London Underground the other week and I saw, you know, some very familiar uh, influencers uh, appearing on, um, if you like, misguided or some of the big fashion brands on bus shelters, on billboards. So you know this this is this this is the uh, scope of what's to come. To see some of these individuals now appearing on other forms of media, and they are they are social media stars in their own right. Mm. Yeah, no, that is fascinating, and as you said, it replaces the the modern celebrity as well. So the scope of influence is and has for a little while now been shifting more from just online to impacting offline as well um, and out of home marketing. So yeah, I'm sure we're going to see plenty more of that as well. I want to um, move into this area of influencer marketing strategy. And when I spotted it both in your book and I was researching you and I think it's referenced on your LinkedIn, there's, there's lots of themed content around approaching influencer marketing strategically. And I thought that was really interesting because in my experience working at a marketing agency, I sat back and thought, well, actually, it's really important to approach influencer marketing strategically. And yeah, I don't see it too often. So influencer marketing, in my experience, has been seen by both clients, prospects, and occasionally peers as a very tactical thing you know, oh, should we do influencer marketing, you know, this month, this quarter, this year? And it's not really a strategic thought or is born out of strategy, but it can be. And there's, and we'll link to your book in the show notes. There's plenty of evidence to suggest why it is a strategic art and why it should be viewed that way. But just for a starting point for this part of our discussion, could you maybe describe the differences as you see it between influencer marketing strategy and maybe influencer marketing as a tactic? What do you need the strategic part? Well, I think the, the most important thing is, um, is to not just see influencers as an add-on to an existing campaign. And that's what sometimes happens. Um, but to really think about it as, um, you know, if, if I want to embrace influencers, use the same principles that you have in other forms of, of marketing – to approaching influencers. So in other words, you know, you set goals, 
Are you looking to create brand awareness? Are you looking to create a, a proper ROI? Do you want sales? Do you want people driving back to your website? What is it that you're trying to achieve? And also that what you want to try and do is to make sure that you've got the right influences that align with your values and particularly with your campaign. It's no point in just uh, thinking, uh, well, well, we'll just go and find some influencers that are keen to work with us. Because obviously, at the end of the day, you want a campaign to work successfully. So there's a, and actually, by the way, finding influences is still one of the biggest challenges <laughs> that many right. uh, brands and agencies face, which is why now there's been a plethora of online marketing tools to actually help you do that. But, and, and some of those tools, many of them now have got full analytics behind them. And that's why I think it's important that it is about setting setting goals and making sure that you're working with the right people. Um, and then, of course, making sure that you analyze the results appropriately because it's not an exacting art. You're dealing with human beings at the end of the day. It's not like you're buying an advert uh, or you're buying something on, on TV, which is a, a fixed asset. Uh, and by the way, influencers don't like to be called assets. <laughs> uh, they, 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 like to, they like to feel that, uh, you know, you're taking an interest in them. You're recognizing what they've done already. You know, if they've built a relatable uh, and engaged audience. That in itself is, is, a, is an achievement. And they're also in a better position often to advise a brand about what type of content can work really, really well. So I think brands that make the mistake in thinking, right, well, we just want to get a bunch of influencers to promote our product. Um, this is what we would like them to say. This is the type of message that we want to do. And that's why sometimes influencers will reject that and they'll say, well, you know, that tone of voice isn't really going to work with our, uh, with my audience. But the ones that really work well is, is, um, is those that almost give them guidance and certainly provide brand guidelines and all about the brand, what it's trying to achieve and what the ideal outcome would be. So that's the reason why the word collaboration is often used everywhere within influencer marketing because that's exactly what it should be you know influencers aren't employees you know they are they're your partner and i think where that and that's why we've seen a, a big growth in things like um, ambassador programs so that um you know it's not just about a one hit story or one post it's often about you know this 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 tone of voice this communication of authenticity. So the brand's voice in the in the eyes of an influencer can be really, really, really amazing when you start to see it. In fact, I was only speaking to um, somebody from Oxfam on my podcast recently, and they've had a fantastic reaction by using influencers actually because it was good for the good for the brand um, but when they reached out to those influencers they didn't just say this is what you want this is what we want you to say it was much more about a consultative approach to start with this is what we as a brand are trying to achieve we've noticed what you're about we think there's total alignment and then there's a whole conversation about that and then the the influencer would say look well how about if we were to do this and how about if we were to do that and some of those things Things the brand had never even thought about, so that's why I think it's it's really, really, uh, an ex it, you know, a really great, exciting opportunity to work with influencers because um, uh, nothing is set in gold, but having a clear strategy about purpose, content creation, and measurement is what I think is 
it, it should be rather than just literally, oh, well, we've got a campaign. Let's just add some influencers to get some amplification behind what we've already been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to go into some of those areas in a minute. Before I forget the question, you raised something really interesting, which was that influencers don't like to be referred to as assets. And that led me to think about, and I can't remember who it was, but I was watching a YouTuber of some description recently and they were in an interview and someone called them an influencer. They introduced a the person, called them a YouTuber or an influencer, and they really didn't like that phrase. I think they were like being referred to as like a media personality or a content creator. Mm. But it seems like for influential people now, perhaps maybe there's a shift in them not liking being referred to as influencers and maybe them preferring to actually be seen as brands or as media personalities. Is that anything that you've seen? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, one of the problems is, is the mainstream media in particular have, have highlighted perhaps some of the bad examples of, of influencer engagement. Um, perhaps some of the reality TV stars that, uh, again, typically haven't been using the proper disclosures and, and you know, all sorts of things like that. So I think, um, and so the, the consumers aside are starting to see, oh yeah, you know what these influencers are like. And so we don't, we've, unfortunately we've seen quite a lot of bad press around them. And yet, you know, there are some amazing influencers and content creators that are out there and they get really frustrated because those that do the right job, which are the, by far the majority don't like to be maligned by those that don't. <laughs> so um, they'll often refer themselves as content creators. But we shouldn't underestimate the word influence is a very, very powerful word, isn't it? Really, it's been around mm. for If you are, you know, if you're an influencer, you have the ability to shape behavioral change. And um, whereas a digital creator is just somebody that creates content. But <laughs> mm. so... Uh, you know, they, they are actually influencing, you know, they almost should be an influencer, but I know that it is an issue that some of them don't feel comfortable with, um, with, uh, saying, I have to say. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. 
And also it's the respect for, as you've just said, a reality TV star, going back to something you were talking about in the introduction, that is a different type of personality to someone who maybe is an influencer or YouTuber and ultimately is creating, editing, producing all of their own content. So perhaps perhaps it's the social media influencers who are feeling a little bit disrespected when they're being compared to reality stars of influence because Mm. there are different disciplines and different skills involved. Yes, indeed. That's indeed, made, that's yeah. Made, yeah, that that yeah. would make a lot of and, sense. And some of them, of course, have, have, have had audiences grow overnight. I mean, I knew somebody mm. that was on the uh, Too Hot to Handle series, for example, who um, on the Thursday before the episode, she had 2,500 on her Instagram. And within a, within a week, she was over a million followers on Instagram. And there's no way on earth you know, she is uh, lovely. She is, she's not a digital, wasn't what digital creator, but she became, she's become a media personality almost. But uh, yeah, I mean, now of course, brands will want to work with her because of the size of her audience. Um, The only thing I would say though, of course, is that it's the quality of that audience. And that's what I think is very, very important. When brands want to work with influencers, they do their due diligence because, you know, if you've got like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, you know, and you're a British brand, how do you know that 70% of that audience isn't from America or from other parts mm-hmm. of the world? So actually what you're, what you're paying for or collaborating with is, is only a percentage of that total. And again, if you wanted to work with, um, if your target uh, brand was geared towards women, and actually, if you didn't know it, uh, a sizable part of that influencer's audience is men, then your shrinking available audience is less. So, you know, your what you're actually your media buy that's what i'm trying to say is going to be disproportionate so that's why it's really important to do the the due diligence and the research before em- embarking on an influencer and there are tools to enable you to to help to, for you to do that but it's really important this is great because it brings me back to the topic of uh, a strategic approach to influencer marketing and as you were talking through this section you've spoken about Make sure that you're targeting influencers or who you want to collaborate with, essentially. Mm. And then secondary to that, it's making sure that you have the goal in mind. So are you looking to work with influencers for whether it's revenue generation or are you just trying to leverage influence? Maybe you're trying to change a perception of your brand or a product. Is it more for general brand awareness? Is it just to experiment? I'm not sure. So you need to go through that process as well. And it doesn't have to be expensive. Um, I mean, I know one vegan restaurant that used influencers two or three years ago, and they had one of them in particular. They can um, attribute 10 further table bookings as a result of that one gifted influence. So, uh, you know, it's you never know. (laughs) You were talking about how people should focus on influencers that align with their values mm-hmm. and then you were talking about ha- thinking about the demographic of the audience that you want to target and who the demographic of the influential people are you look at a mark a strategy document or an influencer marketing strategy document what other core components of that strategy document that people should be considering 
I think, for example, timelines, goals, demographics, anything else that are core components of a strategy document for influencer marketing. Yeah, no, I, I mean, the, the other thing, of course, to add to that, of course, is um, setting your budget. Um, mm. And it might be that uh, depending on whether it's a gifting or whether it's a paid collaboration, you need to be making sure that you thought about that. Um, uh, how many influencers that you want to work with and the type mm. of different ones are they going to be? It might be that you have a, a number of nano influencers, typically under 10,000 micro influencers up to a hundred thousand and then it might be a mega influencer so it might be a real mix of them um obviously the other thing that you need to be aware of is having a proper campaign brief what you want to get out of this uh, campaign how long that's going to be on for what you want the influencers to do and obviously ideally once you have fixed who you're going to work with you need to put in place a proper contract to make sure everybody knows what they're going to be doing and when. And then obviously uh, you'd need to make sure that the content that is being created, you have proper sign off. So it's about making sure that you've uh, you know created the right action points and when. Um, and of course, um, evaluation, uh, making sure that uh, you understand what it is you're going to evaluate. Is it going to be the uh, the number of links back to your website, the number of sales generated. You might like to, for example, give a discount to the influencers' followers if they uh, if they link to a particular landing page or website. It might be that you've got a conference in place and you want to uh, give the influencer special code on a discount for the tickets. Um, because that's what's happening now, of course, more and mm. more. In the early days of influencer marketing, it was just largely about brand awareness. But now uh, we're seeing them involved much further down the uh, the marketing funnel to real attribution. Um, and, of course, um, in, um, in, Ch- in the Far East, China, uh, live, stream, l- l- live stream broadcasting for products have got influences involved in a massive scale. In fact, I don't know if you saw recently, Scott, but Amazon and um, Alibaba were actively recruiting 100,000 influencers globally, such is the demand for them as uh, sales individuals. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a broad brush look at, you know, what you need to think about when you um, set out. You've touched on this as you were talking, but. Uh, you reference nano influencers or micro influencers there. And just in this strategic section, I wanted to ask when might a business choose to work with a micro or nano influencer versus, I guess, someone that's more well known or more popular? What decision process do businesses have to go through to understand which is better for their fit? Well, um, I mean, sometimes a new startup company that might not have a, a big budget might have to consider working with you know, nano uh, influencers. And don't forget, when you're thinking about working with an influencer, always be aware of what they want as well. Now, we know that the number one one requirement for influencers is to be paid. But actually, if you go further down the list, they also want to add value to their audience. They want to give them something special. They want the VIP uh, status. They want to bring new products to their audience. Um, because let's not forget, a campaign works well. 
you know, the, the influencer has a vested interest in working with a brand that, where the campaign is going to work well. Because if, if it doesn't, mm. it falls flat for both brand and influencer. Yeah. Um, so I think certainly startup brands probably would, would run, may run sort of gifting campaigns. Uh, and perhaps they'll work on a trial basis to see how they're going to work with them. And it might be that they've got some good collaborations and maybe not others. Um, so there is a little bit of um, trial and error sometimes. Um, but I think a more established brand may want to consider using uh, bigger scale influencers. I mean, the, the, the benefit, of course, with working with a more celebrity mega is you get massive reach, which mm. you're unlikely to get with a, with a, um, with a micro or, um, or nano influencer. But what you will get with the latter is a much more engaged audience because those individuals are, are more in touch with their followers. I mean, if you've got like 5,000 followers and sort of, you know, you might have an engagement rate of, you know, three, four, 10%, even 15%. Actually, if you then think about those as numbers, and if those people are then linking back to your website, you might find that you have as much interest from that smaller audience that might be relevant and tight and, and even more niche than a mega influencer. Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes I've seen mega influencers being used as a, almost like a campaign head <laughs> um, mm. with, you know, almost like to create a buzz and excitement and then um, using uh, nanos and, um, and micros to, to convert. There's one thing that really strikes me as you were talking through that section as well. And again, it ties back with the title about the kind of strategic approach to influencer marketing. And that's from what I've seen over the last 10 or 15 years in influencer marketing, that right now, as we speak today, there are platform specific influencers as well, which also help you make that strategic decision. So I've seen influencers who will say, I'm on TikTok only. And that's it. And they don't try to be influential on any other platform, but mm. it means that their influence on that platform, if that aligns with your overall demographic, that would be a good place to go. So I feel like maybe that's a fundamental shift that I've seen over the last 10 or 15 years is that I guess the emergence of platform specific influencers. Is that fair? And is that something you've seen as well? Yeah, definitely. And of course, you mentioned TikTok, a huge mm. growth in TikTok over the last two years. And I think we've seen that with the pandemic as well, as more and more people have been online and been exposed to seeing influencer content, um, perhaps in some instances for the first time. And um, also, we've seen, you know, uh, Joe Public having a go at uh, creating content and love to see how, how that uh, has resonated quite well. Um, so I think what we're going to see is a lot of new careers develop out of this and people mm. realize, yeah, I can be entertaining. I can be educational. I've been wanting to develop my passion for so many years. And this is this sort of what's happened in the last 12 months have, have, have helped create that. Um, I definitely agree with your question. I think there are certainly uh, certain industries that work really well and therefore the influencers that are talking to those influences. I mean, fashion, for example, and beauty is a natural fit for Instagram uh, and YouTube. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of entertainment and humor, mm. you know, fits very well with TikTok. Um, I mean, I know um, 
one particular uh, content creator who did a series actually because that's what we're seeing as well is not just one off uh, mm. bits of content we're seeing uh, you know some of these sort of series develop as we have all liked uh, things like Netflix and we we've all loved these box series well that's translating onto the social media platforms as well um in fact uh, I saw a comedy sketch recently and um yeah, this particular content creator, it's something like 24 million views she'd had uh, over this sort of series. Because what was really good is she was she was doing one of them and then people were coming back for more. So she was drip feeding. That's a great thing for a brand collaboration, of course, to be involved as a partnership with a series because it's not just them one bite of the cherry. They're getting, uh, uh, they're getting exposure through mm. that whole series. It speaks to the richness and depth of content we were talking about at the beginning, that the fact that influential content creators are producing so much content, not repurposing that content. And as you've just mentioned, they're serializing that content or, or in a way as well. So the depth of content uh, that you can work on with influencers at the moment is so broad. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a huge change. But we shouldn't also forget there are there's been a growth in what we call B two B influencers. So and they may not necessarily again refer themselves as as influencers, but uh, they are thought leaders in their own right. And we've seen that emerge on LinkedIn and Twitter. So whether they be mm-hmm. financial gurus, fintech specialist, tech wizard, um, mobile phone reviewers, you know, all of these types of people would would fit perhaps better on on LinkedIn and Twitter. So it is about, you know, making sure that you are talking to your, the right audience. I mean, that's that's the bottom line, really. <laughs> and I'm glad you raised B2B because one of my questions for you is that everything we've talked about in this episode so far, when I kind of visualize it and I'm thinking through it, I think about influencers that are working on a B2C basis typically. Mm. But have you seen influencer marketing you successfully in the B2B space? And if so, maybe which platforms or who for any examples that come to mind? Yeah. So, um, well, uh, let's just give you an example of myself. So I've just produced a report for, it's called the Social CEO, and we've analyzed over 300 uh, LinkedIn and Twitter profiles of individuals within the um, w- within the uh, trade association and professional membership body. And I have uh, created a report with uh, influencer platform Analytica, which is a specialist, by the way, for the B2B space. Uh, and it's a, anybody that wants to download it, by the way, you know, head, head over to uh, Membership World. Um, there is a, is a free copy for you to download there. But it's been really fascinating process of not only looking at those individual profiles, but then the insights that come from that. So where I see influencer marketing working really well in the B2B space is, you know, things like white papers, things like guides, things like going on to podcasts, um, uh, what else, panel interviews. So I do quite a lot of that at uh, conferences and so do of course other sort of thought leaders in the space and brands want access to those types of individuals because they know they've got a great following in their target audience Mm. Um, so uh, yeah that's the sort of thing that sort of comes to mind um, when we talk about uh, b2b influencers 
That's fascinating. As you're talking through, it's largely, as you said, the influence is still there. It's just the medium that's different. So when we were talking about B2C influencers throughout this episode, we've been talking a lot about social media. But yeah, when you've just been talking about yourself there in B2B, you're talking podcasting, maybe more data-driven collaborations or reports or white papers, in-person events. Mm. And so the medium is the, the biggest shift or change there as you're, as you're talking that through. Mm. And um, are there any industries that you've seen where influencer marketing just is really difficult to work or maybe the audience is more pessimistic or skeptical and comes from that angle? And so it just is more difficult to make a breakthrough. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's probably more the the, the old manufacturing type industries. Right. Um, you know, those are the ones, and and particularly where you've got an older demographic. I mean, the one the industries, of course, that we know are, are very familiar tend to be, you know, travel, food and drink sport entertainment beauty fashion um these are the types of industries that you tend to think of um, but that said there are influences in every industry i mean i often refer to to like the fly fishings <laughs> um you know if you had somebody that was a fly fishing expert and that had just a thousand followers but all of his or her content was attributed to different types of fish, different venues this person has been to, you know, so they're, they're educating, they're inspiring, they're entertaining. The three things I think are really important when creating content. You know, the chances are if I was a rod manufacturer or somebody that was trying to sell fishing tackle, then this sort of individual will be perfect because the chances are the level of engagement and the likelihood of a great collaboration with maybe 10 people like that you know, that's rocket fuel. And to close out this episode, going back to something that you referenced earlier, Gordon, you we've talked a lot about how to approach the the discipline of influencer marketing strategically. But then you said it's one thing to go through this process and define your strategy, but then a different thing to know how to then go and target those people. So is there any software that comes to mind for you that helps to identify influencers that you really like? Um, yeah, um, check out, uh, Hype Auditor. Um, that's a great platform. And there are, there are lots of others there. Influencer marketing software. Influence City is another one. Takumi is another example. Um, and, uh, The Corner London, which is a great influencer uh, talent agency. You know, there are a number that are members of the BCMA. I, in fact, actually, there's a whole lot more that I mention in the book. In fact, I've got a, a section on the sort of directory of influencer agencies and influencer platforms. So, uh, and I've highlighted some of the best ones that are out there. So that's probably a, a good place to start. Um, one thing I will say though is when you want to reach out to influencers, do not, in my opinion, just target them cold. Uh, start to think about um, in, in the same way that you wouldn't go into a conference. And just say to somebody straight away, uh, oh, hello, my name's Gordon. Would you like to buy from me? <laughs> you would start to find a way of building rapport and creating a relationship. And so one of the things I say to people is start to like and engage on the target influencers' content. 
so that and perhaps do that for a little while, even if it be just for a couple of weeks or something, so that when you do reach out to them um, through their DMs or an email, you can actually talk to them and recognize what they've already done. So I've, you know, I've been following you for a while. I love what your content is all about. It really does resonate with our with what we're trying to do as a brand. And we love to have a chat with you about a potential brand collaboration. Um, uh, this is what we're trying to achieve. You know, would you be up for a, a, a further chat conversation? So what you're trying to do is to pique their interest, perhaps not give them all the elements of the campaign, but first and foremost, recognize them for what they've done. That's a perfect way to close out this episode. Gordon, Thank you so much for your time in this episode today. But before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and also your book? Lovely. Thank you so much, Scott, for having me on this show today. Um, yes, you can find me on LinkedIn, Gordon Glenister. There's only one of me in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I have a website, gordonglenister.com. I'm uh, also on Instagram and Facebook uh, and Twitter. The links to all of those locations will be in the show notes, as will the link to Gordon's book. Gordon, for now, I'll say thank you for your time. And this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.